Well, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there, uh, all the biological moms and adopted moms and foster moms and stepmoms and single moms and moms that have lost children and moms. Thank you. Hope thank you for using your uh, superpowers to keep uh, families going, keep everybody online. Uh, it's great to have you here today. Special greetings to the moms joining us at Crossroads 01 in Highland Park. And as always, a welcome to those of you who were drug here because it's Mother's Day and this is what your mom asked for. You have to go to church with us on Mother's Day. So, um, about 15 years ago, I uh, was quite taken by an observation that uh, a friend made. He and his wife said, we routinely uh, categorize the Christmas letters we get from our friends based on the age at which they uh, were when they wrote it. They go, we can, we can tell. They said, so letters from those in their 20s uh, are all about first. First job, first house, first child, first money, first this and that. And there, there's energy and there's excitement and next year is going to be bigger and better. So letters from those in the 30s uh, have some firsts, but uh, they also have uh, the key word that shows up in all of those letters is busy, hectic, out of control. The letters from those in the 40s take a different turn. Now there's less firsts, more sames, and perhaps for the first time there's a, a hint of sadness or of limitations or someone lost a job or someone... Uh, his parents have passed away. And letters in the 50s tend to be about, you know, college tuition and uh, growing older and other things. But and then 60s and 70s it sort of followed a relatively predictable pattern. So I was quite surprised by this, quite taken by this. I ended up doing uh, a lot more reading on it. And I preached a sermon so in 2003. Uh, and of the 600 or so messages I've given as senior pastor at Christ Church, it stands out as the one that received the most feedback, uh, both positive and negative. Uh, but I have continued to think about life stages and how life unfolds, and uh, I, I've continued to sort of do Bible studies along that line. I've, I've continued to read sort of stage theorists like Piaget and Erickson and Fowler. There's all kinds of people out there that sort of look at life this way. Additionally, if you've been here uh, for any length of time, you've heard me speak about friendships. Based on my personal experience of having to sort of reboot friendships at a certain point, based on the fact that as a pastor, I'm fairly convinced that... uh, most men in particular don't have the friends they need. If you ask a woman who her best friend is, she'll tell you somebody she talks to several times a week. Uh, if you ask a guy who his best friend is, he's likely to tell you somebody he hasn't seen in 30 years. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm aware that there needs to be better friends. I don't think people appreciate how important friends are to their families, to their own personal development, to their marriages, to their children. Uh, additionally, Uh, I don't think people realize how important friends are to help people end well. And just as a general observation, um, lots of people don't end well. Now, I'm not talking about the physical decline. There is physical decline, right? It just, it happens. As we grow older, we slow down. this, This past week, since the stroke, I had a certain goal I was trying to get as a runner. And I finally 
hit this. So I, I texted a friend of mine from growing up uh, who's been a friend. So we got pictures of us in the crib together. So the longest friend I've had, I texted him. He's a runner. He's been tracking with me. A year after the stroke, he came up to, to run a race with me, knowing that it could take three hours for us to finish this race. So he's a good friend, and I texted him this time. And he was cheering me on, and, and then I said, thank you, but stop. Let's just realize, <laughs> if you had told us 20 years ago that we would be celebrating a 5K time that's less than a half an hour, we would have said, oh my goodness, shoot me now. I don't want to be that person, right? There is decline. It just happens. We, we grow older. But we can get better, right? And the things that matter most, tomorrow can be better than today. Philippians 1.6 says, he who began a good work in us will complete it, will continue it. It's an active verb. We'll keep working on it. You can be more loving tomorrow, more patient, more joyful, have a greater sense of peace. In, in the ways that matter, you can be more gracious. You can be a better person tomorrow than you are today. But tragically, lots of people stall in that kind of growth and development. And so what I want to do today is I, in this, as we end this relationship series is I want to sort of pull those two ideas together and think about relationships, the context of friends and family as it, as it unfolds over life. And I want to leave you with a challenge. Now, I'll just say a couple things at the front end. A, a, a talk like this forces me to make generalizations. So... I'm going to make some assumptions about life as I sort of chart things through the decades. And uh, it may not fit your situation. So you may have to adjust, right? Some people are, are in their 20s and some people are in their 90s. Some people have, are married and some people are single. Some people have been married several times. Some people have step families. Some people have nine kids. Some people don't have any kids. So you're going to have to flex. If it doesn't apply to you, just think about your friend or your colleague or your, or your parents or your children or your grandchildren, whoever it might be. Secondly, this kind of uh, study and observation requires us to look at the Bible differently than normal. So a lot of times a sermon is based on a passage that is relatively didactic, right? So Jesus or Paul or Peter or Moses or someone says, Think this way, do this, don't do that, more of this, less of this. We get, we get directions that we're to follow. Some biblical study is based on stories. David kills Goliath, Jesus walks on water, and we make, we make sort of applications. We derive principles out of that. This is not in either of those. This is more fl a flyover and looking at everybody and trying to draw some observations about life. So there are biblical passages that deal with friendships. So we have Job and his friends uh, who figure prominently in his account. We have uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes coaching us about what a good friend looks like. We have David and, and Jonathan's friendship. There's the, in the book of uh, Acts, we've got the, the account of Paul and Barnabas and their great friendship and then they're falling out. So there's, there's biblical accounts of friendship. And additionally, there are people's stories that we can look at for how their life unfolds. Quite 
famously, Moses' life breaks out in three segments. You got 40 years of training to be a leader in Egypt. You got 40 years of him wandering around as a shepherd in the desert. And then you got 40 years in which he is leading people wandering around in that same desert. Uh, David has this remarkable ascendancy for the first half of his life. And then he has this tragic decline. I think Peter is a great case study because Peter is a, in the Gospels, Peter is this impetuous flake. He's an uneducated fisherman and he just comes off as being always sort of half-baked in his thinking. But the Peter who writes First and Second Peter is wise and, and he is so knowledgeable, he's grown so much that a lot of scholars suggest he didn't write First Peter. And the, the whole argument that they say is the Greek is too polished. <laughs> this is not a fisherman, right? So they sort of suggest that he, he doesn't learn. He doesn't continue to grow through his life. But if you just read what he's writing and you look at his life, you see that he continued to grow. So there's lives that we can look at that unfold in different ways. But this is not going down that path. I, I'm looking collectively. So so there have been studies that have been done that say, okay, if you look at everybody in the Bible about whom we have enough information to know how they end, we can say that really it's significantly less than a third who end well. Many people are doing well at some point. They're doing the right thing. They're pursuing uh, serving. They're, they're loving God. They're, they're, they're on a trajectory that looks positive, but things unfold in their life over time. So, um, so we're looking at that. We're looking at how you end well, how life unfolds, how you avoid sin derailing you later on. Because a lot of the stories are that sin catches up with people and it, and it ends up distorting them and life falls apart. Uh, the last thing I'll say is I'm going to just break this out in terms of decades. Like if you're in your 20s or in your 30s or in your 40s. I, I, I gave this talk, a talk like this, uh, probably 15 years ago at Men's Fraternity. And I broke it out there initially around the car you drive. I said, look, if you drive a, a really old car with bald tires, or if you drive a sort of average car but you owe on it more than it's worth, then you're probably young. Maybe not, but probably. If you're driving a minivan, face it. You're not as cool as you think. You're a parent, right? If you're driving a high-end sports car, maybe you're young and single. Probably this is a midlife crisis kind of deal. You're in your 40s or 50s, right? So you can just, if it's an RV, right? I mean, you can just sort of pick your, your spot. I also did it, uh, I said, you can also sort of figure out who you are based on your relationship with football. So if you're playing football, even if it's touch football, if you're playing football 20 or 30 times, a year, then you're in your 20s. If you're playing football once a year, Thanksgiving with the family, but you manage to not get hurt, probably in your 30s. If you play once a year and it's, you know, it's nephew Billy who's five and it's your Aunt Sally who's 70 and you get hurt, then you're in your 40s. If you don't play at all, but you lament your football injuries as if they happened last week, you're probably in your 50s. If you sleep through the game, you're in your 60s, right? So, we can do it that way. I just said, I'm just going to, I'm going to make some generalizations and talk roughly about 20s, 30s, 40s, and on. So, if you're in your 20s, 
Uh, there's lots being written about people in their 20s right now, right? The millennials. Much of it being written by people who are older who say, I have no idea how to manage and supervise uh, the, the millennials that work at the company I work at. Last week's Wall Street Journal had an article by Senator Ben uh, Sasse, who's a Republican, I think, out of Nebraska, who was talking about perpetual adolescence and uh, pointed out, this was where the, the statistics sort of emerged, that today uh, more 18 to 34-year-olds live with their parents than live anywhere else. Um, Peg Jay, a clinical psychologist and um, a professor at Berkeley, and the, the one who gave the talk, 30 is not the new 20, uh, a TED Talk, sort of famously has, has been arguing that 20s is the defining decade in a person's life. There's lots of information out there. So as a pastor, what I would say to you if you're in your 20s, there's, there's three examples in the Bible to look at. The first one is who you don't want to be, okay? Samson. So Samson's the last judge. He's uh, written about in the book of Judges. He's, he's young. He's strong. He's tall, dark, and handsome. He's got all kinds of things going for him, and he's an easy mark. He's not very disciplined. He gets seduced by Delilah, and his life ends. So you do not want to be Samson. Timothy is a young man in his 20s, and he gets coached. He gets, he gets uh, encouraged by Paul to step up. Timothy, you can lead. Do not let other people look down on your youth, right? You're, you're ready to man up. You're a good guy. Timothy gets coached. Esther is a young woman who, uh, who will take this heroic stand in the end. And, and her valor, uh, she's coached on this by her uncle Mordecai. Her valor is going to preserve and protect the Jewish people when they're in Persia. So... Uh, there are some examples for you. If you're in your 20s, I would also say, read the book of Proverbs because it was written for you. So Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. He wrote it for his young men, sons, who were in their 20s. So it's written for, for men more than for women, but it's written with advice about how life is going to unfold and the kinds of things, the kind of habits and patterns you want to establish now. Now, when I get a chance to try and uh, say a bunch of things to 20-year-olds and I think they're going to listen, I, I say, like, uh, don't sleep around, don't go into debt, uh, and if you, if you can manage to get through your 20s avoiding those two things, your 30-year-old self or your 40-year-old self is going to really thank your 20-year-old self uh, for those good decisions. Additionally, I say, you need to understand that, the, that you can make it to 30 on talent, but you can't make it past that on talent. It's going to take hard work. So if you're still saying and doing the things in your 30s that you've done in your 20s, it starts to grow tired. And if you're doing it in your 40s, it looks desperate. So you're going to have to, at some point, find a gear and, and move forward. But the big thing I would encourage 20-year-olds to do is get a mentor. Get someone who is going to help you navigate life. Timothy had a mentor in Paul. Esther had a mentor in Mordecai, right? They get help steering their way through the challenges of being a young adult. Uh, Samson doesn't get that help. Now, it could be that the uh, mentor that you're going to lean into will be your parents. It's Mother's Day. Let's acknowledge you got, likely have a, a mom and or a dad 
who love you and can offer good advice. But uh, if you're in your 20s, they're not quite as smart yet as you, uh, as you think they need to be. So let me just acknowledge that there are phases in your relationship to them. When you're little, when you're like this, then they are your caretaker, right? When you're zero to four, they do everything, they make every decision, you just go with the flow. When you're four to 12, then they are the cop, right? So you can do some things. You can cross the street, but you got to ask for permission. You can stay out till eight, but you got to check in. You can do certain things, but, but they are the police. When you're 12 to 21, then uh, they become the coach. So you're living life. You got to make your own calls, but they're on the sidelines cheering you on and yelling advice and occasionally calling a timeout to say, I don't think you understand the defense that's coming right now. Here's what you need to do in order to, you know, score a goal, whatever. And then 21 and beyond, they become consultants, which means, in the best of all possible worlds, they're not offering advice unless you ask. But the problem is, I'll say as one who has boys in his 20s, is that they don't, you don't often ask when you should. It's really hard for parents to sit on the sideline going, okay, this is not going to end well, but uh, what can I do? Uh, So maybe you would be more uh, inclined to seek advice if you ask their friends. Their friends can be your mentors, and it can be a huge advantage. When you're in your 30s and 40s and 50s, you will realize uh, how much you have learned in the last 30 years and how much better your life could have been if you'd known then what you know now. You can ask a mentor. And so we have a, we've got some pilot mentoring programs going on here. If you're looking for a mentor and you, you can't readily find one, send me an email. Maybe this is a pilot program. It's not big, but maybe I can, I can help you. So um, if you're in your 20s, you want to get a mentor. Uh, and I would also encourage you, if you're in your 20s, to double down on the friends that you have and to realize you're going to have to invest in them or they will go away. They'll still be your friends at Christmas and when you get together, but you probably need to work pretty hard in your 20s to hold on to some of the friends that you had because life is going in different directions. If you're in your 30s, 30s is brought to you by the letter M for Marriages, mortgages, and minivans. It's also a, a word, a, a decade that can be characterized by one word, at least for, for us, would be survival. That at some point became the goal. Uh, you know, you're at work, you're trying to prove yourself, you're trying to establish yourself, you're trying to make something happen. And, and kids are not that expensive when they're little. If you think they are, <laughs> you haven't seen anything yet. Uh, they're not as expensive as they're going to become, but they take a lot of time. And so you're just, time is just what you do not have. If there is a classic moment for me where I sort of realized what we were up against uh, in my 30s, I came home, I was working as a consultant at the time. Came home, 5 o'clock, whatever. And uh, I put Austin, our oldest one, I talked to him, and he's maybe six, talked him into riding his bike while I went for a jog. And I put Ben, who was three, in a baby jogger. So I go out, the hero that I am, I'm taking the boys, I'm going to go out, I'm going to get my run in, and I'm buying some time for Sherry. I am scoring points, making an investment, because I got a project I got to get, I'm going to have to attend to later on in the evening, I've got to do something. 
So we're gone a long time. And I come home feeling good, like she's going to be in a good spot. This is great. I open the door and I hear Jason, who's eight weeks old, shrieking. I go in. There she is. She's, she's trying to console Jason. She's trying to cook dinner and she's cleaning the house. And I realize... I, I, did not, I did not get any points in the last hour. Uh, we're outnumbered, and uh, this was perhaps I went, I, I'm, I'm further in a deficit, right? And it's just, when I, see, when I see young families traveling or when I see them at a park or something, I, am, I now just go up to them and I say, God bless you, it will get easier, hang in there. Now, I don't tell them that it'll get more expensive, and I don't tell them that the 40s can be harder. I just say, it will eventually get easier. Hang in there. Now, on a more thoughtful sense, in your 30s, the 30s is likely the time when you realize that you're not going to get better by default. That you're now the age that your parents were, when you thought your parents knew everything. And you go, well, wait a minute. I don't know everything. I, like, I, I barely know anything. Like, I remember looking at a picture of my dad. He's holding me in a baseball glove. I am days old. And I'm looking at this picture. So he's got to be mid-20s. And I'm thinking, he looks older in that picture than I feel now. Right? I mean, he looks more mature. He looks more together. He, wa- he wasn't. You begin in your 30s to realize oh my goodness, I'm going to have to work at this. I'm going to have to work in order to grow. 30s is also a time when you start to lose touch with your friends in significant ways and you don't have a lot of time to make new friends. And if there's a biblical character that I would direct you to in your 30s that I would just encourage you to think about, it would be David. Because I think, as I sort of do the math, David's probably in his 30s when he makes the decisions that will make the next 20 years of his life really ugly. So he, he multiplies wives, he commits adultery, he uh, has a man murdered, and as I've said throughout the course of this series, we all do stupid things, we all have relational baggage, we all hurt people we love, we all have this. And David will write Psalm 51, which is this wonderful psalm of confession, David will, will, will plead his case before God. David will accept the forgiveness of God. All of that can happen, absolutely. But when you make these mistakes, you do, in fact, dig a hole for yourself. And it can take a long time to get out of the hole. And David will make big mistakes. He's going to multiply wives. The wives will not get along. The, the kids of the wives will not get along. A son of one wife is going to rape the daughter of another. One son is going to try and kill him. It, it becomes a bad reality TV show for the next 30 years of his life. And he makes the mistakes that will shape those next 20 to 30 years when he's in his 30s. <clears throat> 40s. As I said, the 40s are the time when you stop talking about first in your Christmas letter. You start talking more about sames. And perhaps there's a hint of sadness. Children get older. As they get older, they're less controllable. And sometimes there's challenges and tensions there. Sometimes it's your own parents or it's your health. When I was uh, in my 40s, my roommate from college uh, had heart issues that led to open-heart surgery. And he almost 
passed away. And I was shaken for him, but I was also shaken that I now had friends that had heart issues. And it was like, whoa, when did that happen? And it was, uh, it was quite unsettling. Um, 40s can also be a time of uh, a bit of uh, a crisis. We could call it a midlife crisis. But in your 40s, many times you realize um, there are things I thought I was going to do, I'm, I'm not going to do them. Right? It may be that you say, you realize, I, I'm not going to have children. I thought I was going to have children, thought I was going to be a mom, I'm not going to be a mom. Maybe professionally. I moved here, we moved here when I was 39. I had been a management consultant, and as a management consultant, it was, you know, about growing a practice. But, you know, bigger clients, more clients, more staff, the higher billable rate, all of that. So there's a lot of, it, it fueled ambition, and ambition fueled growing this management consulting practice. When I came here, I said, no, I'm not, I don't have a career anymore. I have a calling. I'm a pastor. I'm not going to be about promoting myself. I'm, I'm, it's not what I'm going to do. So 1 Timothy 6 talks about uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. And so I said, okay, that's what I'm after. Godliness and contentment with my situation. And I felt <laughs> like I was doing it pretty well. And then one day... I'm flipping through uh, an old uh, phone book. I'm just flipping through my phone book. I had a phone book. There's no iPhones at this point. I'm flipping through a phone book, and, I'm, and I see the name of, of a guy who's a friend, not a close friend, but had been a friend. We had done a lot together about 10 years earlier. And it occurred to me that if I called this guy today, he wouldn't call me back because he was getting calls from the President of the United States, and he was traveling all over the world, and he was speaking at huge events. And I thought, huh, so that's not me. I'm not getting calls from the President, right? I'm not speaking at huge events. And I thought, okay, well, uh, so that's not going to happen in my life. And it's not that I thought it was going to happen, but I suddenly realized it's not going to happen. And you're in your 40s when you start to say, wow, some of my friends have left me behind, and I'm, I'm not going to catch up. And, uh, and, and you need good friends at that point to help steer you. If I, if I get a chance to direct 40-year-olds to a particular book for study, it's the book of Ecclesiastes, in which Solomon, who's sort of hitting life out of the park by all external appearances, he's king, he's wealthy, he's knowledgeable, he's got all kinds of things going for him, Solomon gets it all and realizes that it isn't what he wanted. And you read the book of Ecclesiastes very differently in your 40s than you do in your 30s or in your 20s. And that uh, leads us into the 50s. I'm 56, by the way, in case you're guessing. I know you thought 25, 30 maybe, yeah. Or as my boys would say, 75, 105. Uh, so there are some good things about the 50s. You, you we got the house back. Uh, the gas stays in the car. Food stays in the refrigerator. I mean, there's a number of those things where you go, okay, this is not bad. Uh, and uh, the bad things are, are not always as bad as you might think. I mean, there are, is the fact that you realize, okay, my, my hairline and my fashion sense now is exactly spot on what my dad's was, you know, 30 years ago. And I have become him, and oh my goodness. And 
you realize that you're not only not cool, but uh, efforts to look cool will be creepy, right? <laughs> nobody, nobody wants to see the 50-year-old in skinny jeans. Nobody wants to see that. So you go, yes, I embarrass my kids by walking into the room. That's now who I have become. Sometimes you have a boss that's younger than you are. Um, so your 50s can be... Um, your 50s can have some good and some bad things. Here's my observation about 50s so far. Um, as a friend, I am struck by how many of my friends are having a really difficult time in their 50s for a variety of reasons. Mistakes catching up with them, not aging well, not accepting aging, trying to be somebody that they're not, right? This, oh, oh, oh 50 is a new 30. Mm. No, <laughs> not really. I think it's 50. <laughs> so I see that, and then I also see uh, a number of, of, as a pastor I see this more, I see a lot of people in their 50s not handle their freedom well. So in your 50s, late 50s, again, it depends upon if you get married and have kids, you might have this freedom the whole time. Generally, as Christ followers, we do better with failure than success. We do better with restrictions than freedom. Not many people can handle freedom. And a lot of people get freedom in their 50s. Suddenly, the kids are not taking nearly as much time. And I've got money. It's sort of like being 20, except now I've got money. And I can do things. And I just see lots of people head down the wrong path. It has been... um, it has been really one of the more disappointing things as a pastor to see how many people in their 50s turn left instead of right. Because it can be a time of great service. It can be a time of great contribution. But it's worth noting, your friends are going to shape you, right? I made this point over and over. Your friends are going to shape you. You're going to become like your friends. You will become like the five people you spend the most time with. I've been making that point. Here's a a corollary to that. At some point, you begin to choose friends that will reinforce your values. And in one sense, you will choose friends that will reinforce the level of commitment to God you're willing to make. So you're not willing to make very much of a commitment. You can find people that will affirm that level of low commitment. And I see a lot of people heading in that direction. Now, I see others heading in an opposite direction. My dad pivoted in his late 50s. And had a great fourth quarter. Far better than I could have ever imagined or hoped. So it is a a pivotal point. Which leads to the 60s and um, beyond. I'm not uh, personally qualified to say much here. Obviously, um, it's worth noting that at some point, we begin to suffer loss just because we begin to lose friends and you, we begin to decline. So loss is part of what happens uh, in the 60s. Uh, Christmas cards of those writing in their 60s and 70s and 80s will occasionally say, this is the last time we will right, buy a car. This is the last house. This is the last trip to Europe. This is the last whatever. So there are some challenges there, and I think um, what, what I see and what I want you to hear is I think friends become ever more important. Who's going to be there for me when I can't do things for myself? If I die first, who's going to be there for my spouse? You start to ask different questions about friends. At a, 
interaction with a guy last week who um, has spent the last 25 years as a life coach. And my question was, who ends well? Like, what, what do you see? Who ends well? And he said, well, um, to my surprise, I thought the people who would end well were the people who had money and talent. He says, that's not actually the way it works. Money and talent is sort of immaterial. Some people with money and talent end well. Some people with money and talent don't end well. He says there's three things that characterize the people who end well. He says, number one, they've had some clarifying moment uh, in midlife or late midlife where they redirected themselves. And they, they have, they, they're not sloppy busy. They have a purpose. They have a goal. They are looking to contribute. They're looking to make life better for other people. So, so they, they've had this. And, and I've, I've mentioned before, Peter Drucker has said, 100 years from now when people look back at this moment, what they will marvel at most is not biomedical advances, not computer technology, not that. He says that what they will marvel at most is that in this era, Lots of people got a second life. A hundred years ago, average life expectancy global, globally was 41. In this era, people got a second life, and most of them didn't use it well. So there is a, a redefining that happens. The second thing that he said is true of those people who, who end well is that they are adaptable. And he says they're adaptable largely because it's no longer about them. <laughs> They are trying to live for the benefit of other people. The, they said, the fruit of my life is now going to grow on somebody else's trees. So I will be flexible to figure out how I help other people win. And third, he said, they have good friends. The people who end well have good friends. Because life gets hard and challenging as you face more and more restrictions. But those who have friends to encourage them moving on are the ones who end well. So here's my challenge. Uh, how are you doing with friends? What kind of a friend are you? Are you making investments in friends? Are you thinking about how this is going to play out in the next 10 years, 30, 40 years? Because right? we have opportunities, and I just want to say relationships matter, and your friendships matter in profound ways. Let me pray for us. Lord God Almighty, we thank you that uh, we are not left unscripted. You have left us with uh, a book that provides insight into how we can live and love and serve and, and live well, live lives that, that mean something, live lives pleasing to you, live lives that help other people. We want to continue to grow. We want to be better tomorrow than today. More like Christ. More love and joy and peace and patience. To be more others focused. Guide us. Give us wisdom. I pray for 20 and 30 and 40 year olds. For wisdom and insight about life and how to live it well. Give us, give us love for other people. Help us to be good friends. Help us to come alongside and encourage others. Um, to love and good deeds, we pray and ask all these things in your Son's name. Amen.